Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, Source Asia consulting company, and the Source Asia YouTube channel. If you haven't seen the YouTube channel in a while, if you haven't seen it before, go check us out. I think we're at like 210 subscribers at the moment, which is great because at the beginning of the year, we had like 30. So we've been growing the YouTube channel steadily. I think we're at something like 30 videos. Um, I'm trying to bang out a video every week. Also posting up the podcast there, so it's another way to get the podcast content. Um, you can stream it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I think the last video that I put out was um, the importance of Guangxi in China. So obviously, if you don't know what Guangxi is, it's basically who you know or your relationships. And I talked about how you know the relationships that you have in China can be very crucial to how successful your business is and how you can leverage and manage things, and how you can grow your business, whether you're located in China full-time or you're doing business through China. So definitely check that out. I think the one that we did before that was the China Manufacturing Hubs, uh, where I kind of just broke down the main manufacturing hubs and the differences between dealing with factories in northern China, southern China, um, eastern, far eastern China and stuff. So check those out. Anyways, so this episode, I had the chance to interview a good friend of mine from InterChina. His name is Kish. And uh, him and his wife are business partners. They launched a $1 million Indiegogo campaign called the Bento Bag. It's a nice, fashionable like travel bag, sort of like inspired by the Bento boxes, of course, if you, like, you, know, if you, if you guys eat Japanese food out there. And, uh, you know, these guys have been selling the bag... Um, since last year, so it was a proven product. They were selling it on their website, and that, and they wanted to sort of push it forward because they'd been reviewed by various publications in the past, and they were getting a lot of encouragement. But they wanted to sort of try launching a campaign, see if they could raise a little bit more money for this. And you know, they got a very decent manufacturer, and they wanted to leverage higher orders to get better per unit costs and push forward the business more. And uh, you know, this is a combination of his wife. Her marketing expertise, his sales experience, um, his experience with you know running uh, you know companies, starting companies from scratch with startups, and just a lot of hustle. Like they did things like just running Facebook ads. You know that was helping them get lead generation and, and validation, and then you know getting publicized by I think it was through the Facebook ads. They ended up getting somebody who was. Uh, worked for Fastlane, a writer for Fastlane, and he asked them if they could send their sample, which I think was their only prototype of the latest version of that bag, to him to review or to her to review. And uh, you know that ended up allowing them to get a ton of signups and allowing them to get a lot of traffic. And then Indiegogo, and then actually they were originally going to start on Kickstarter, and then Indiegogo saw you know, these guys bubbling up and Indiegogo said, hey, you know, come to the dark side. So it's a very, very good lesson in terms of how you can do it, how you can launch a Kickstarter campaign effectively um, or crowdfunding campaign effectively rather. And, you know, sort of the various steps that you can take um, individually that can lead to very, very large results and then like a million, million dollars in, in funding. And uh, also one real one thing really quickly before I let you guys go, the episode my audio is pretty rough. I don't know what was going on with my mic. Um, this is like a recording that I did a while ago. I've made some adjustments to to my microphone since, but yeah, just bear in mind there's going to be some times where maybe my audio sounds a little bit distorted. 
but I think you should still be able to hear me clearly. And for the most part, this is Kish's episode, so I'm not I'm not even talking that much. Anyways, without further ado, cheers. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So I guess let's start from the beginning. Let's start from, you know, sort of your history. Obviously, people who haven't listened to the podcast before, I mean, haven't, uh, people who don't know you, um, who listen to my podcast, want to get to know you. So, um, hey, Rico, uh, thanks again uh, for having me on your uh, podcast today. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, be here. You know, not only uh, you know, because of, you know, the great podcast that you deliver, but also, you know, because we know each other in person. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, kind of, um, you know, how we started, et cetera. So I, along with uh, my wife, we founded a company called Nomad Lane. And uh, it, the, the essence of the brand is stylish and thoughtfully designed uh, travel accessories. Um, you know, if you were to ask me, you know, three years ago, five years ago, or 10 years ago, if this is what I thought I'd be doing, you know, working with my wife, I would have told you that, that you'd be crazy. You know, my story started uh, about uh, 12 years ago. I had moved to New York uh, to uh, work for a software company. And uh, that software company got acquired uh, by a large multinational corporation. And so once it got acquired, I was traveling a lot. I used to live in London and Dublin. I used to live in India. Um, you know, now, uh, currently at the moment, uh, based in New York. Um, you know, from there, you know, had a great uh, few years and, you know, felt... But, you know, felt I wasn't growing. So then, you know, I did some other work, did some other startup work and, you know, just wasn't happy. And, you know, at my last quote unquote nine to five job was with a different software company. My boss just walked in one day and said, hey, you know, you're fired. And so, you know, that uh, in itself was a big shocker to me. And so, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, once that happened, I, you know, reassessed a bunch of things. And, you know, this was... Uh, around, I would say, September 2016 was about when this happened. Um, now, in parallel to me, you know, by that time, I had already met my wife and gotten married, and she had actually quit her job before. She used to work at a large uh, Fortune 50 um, uh, makeup and cosmetics company running their digital marketing strategy. And so, you know, she had actually quit uh, about a year earlier and, you know, was kind of dabbling in the whole e-commerce space. And so, you know, when I had my situation happen to me in September 2016, you know, I could have gone out there and done, you know, kind of the exact same thing. But then I thought I'll probably get the exact same result. And so with that, you know, I just started working with my wife. You know, she uh, had a different business at the time. She was, you know, kind of starting out and, you know, she was doing kind of you know, small, really small items that were you know, retailing in the range of, you know, say $20 to $40, et cetera. And so then, you know, the more we started working together, the more you know, we started seeing um, opportunities in uh, different product categories that we felt we knew a lot about. So one of those interesting ones was travel. You know, uh, I, I'm actually born in India. And, uh, you know, at a very young age, uh, I moved to the U.S. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, I finished school at Georgia State University and then moved to New York. My wife, uh, she's also Indian. And, um, you know, she was born and raised in the Philippines came to uh, the U.S. for school. She actually went to school in Atlanta as well at Emory University and then moved to New York, 
Now, you know, strangely enough, we never met in college, even though we lived very close to each other. We only met in New York many, many years later. And so, you know, from there, we, we understood that we basically had friends in common for 10 years, but we had never met. So, you know, once we um, uh, got married, you know, did you guys meet through mutual friends or it was just a, a random situation? Yeah, so we were actually introduced uh, through mutual friends. So actually, actually through my brother and one of her family friends was essentially how we met. And, you know, we met in, at a bar in New York on uh, Cinco de Mayo, you know, of, of all places, you know. And <laughs> right, uh, it, it was actually, you know, a few days before I had just uh, signed my contract uh, with my previous employer to move to India to basically open up that office. And so, you know, when, when we had met mm -hmm. in Cinco de Mayo, you know, May 5th, 2012, I had moved uh, around uh, June 2012 uh, to India. So for about a year and a half, we were long distance. You know, we were traveling. She would come see me. I would come back to New York. We would also meet up in places in the middle. You know, we went to Greece. We went to Turkey. We went to France. You know, um, so, you know, some amazing trips, you know, obviously you know, explored Asia as well, just, you know, wherever it was in the middle. So, you know, travel has kind of always been in our DNA because of our widely dispersed uh, friends and family. And obviously, you know, we're very close to all of them. And, you know, we enjoy getting on the plane and traveling. Um, you know, fast forward, you know, to after we met, we went on our honeymoon. We were, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to take off about four weeks um, you know, for our honeymoon because I was in between jobs at the time and, you know, she had just quit her job around August, uh, 2015. Um, so, you know, we did that and, you know, kind of, there was a, you know, recurring theme on every one of our trips. You know, it's, it's really, you know, more of me, I would always lose something, forget something, get something stolen, not pack something properly or, you know, have a bag that would break or, you know, think, oh man, I just spent a lot of money on this and, you know, now it's broken or this wasn't worth it because I'm using it in action. And well, you know, the original purpose for it is not what it's intended for, et cetera. And so, you know, then a fast forward to when I got laid off from my job and she had already started a few things, um, you know, we started exploring this uh, travel category some more. And then it was in uh, December 2016, when we were out uh, at dinner one night in New York City, just before Christmas, you know, we just kind of had a moment where we thought, hey, you know, what exactly are we going to do? There's a bigger opportunity. What, what would this, you know, company be? What would it look like? Who would it talk to, et cetera? And so the first step what we did in December 2016 was think of a name. And we thought, okay, well, if you have a name, then, you know, it's kind of like having, you know, kind of a face to a person. And we thought with a name, we can then start developing other things around it. And so, you know, we were, mm -hmm. you know, there when I had dinner, we came up with the name Nomad Lane. And, you know, and actually it was, um, it was more my wife. And so she looked it up and thought, okay, let's see if this domain's available. And, you know, sure enough, it was available for 10 bucks or something. And so we thought, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's just call in. We don't know what we're going to be selling. We don't know what kind of products, what kind of price point, what the branding is going to look like, marketing, strategy. Well, the name immediately tells you kind of what lane you're going to go down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So, you know, kind of, you know, when we had that light bulb moment, it was like, okay, we don't even know what we're going to do yet. Let's just go ahead and book this and you'll go ahead and, you know, take this domain. It's available. Let's start building around that. And so from there, you know, starting, we, we bought the domain in December 2016, starting in January, 2017, um, you know, we started, uh, you know, doing a lot of research, you know, we, my wife uh, has a digital strategy, advertising, branding background. She used to manage seven figure budgets you know, for fortune 500 companies. So, 
it was really, you know, her going to work and kind of, you know, creating a brand identity in terms of colors, logo, et cetera. At the same time, we were also traveling a lot. We were, you know, interviewing a lot of our friends, you know, who travel, uh, you know, finding their pain points, understanding the different price points. We also traveled around and visited with uh, many different uh, factories and we went to a couple of trade shows, you know, specifically, you know, we actually came to the Canton Fair in Guangzhou a couple of times, um, as well as, you know, we traveled around, you know, across Europe, we went across South America and you're kind of at every stop we would always find people, we would interview them, we would always notice what people were carrying to the airports, on the airplanes, on the trains, etc. And so, you know, from January until about August of 2017, we were in planning, planning, planning. Um, and uh, you know, once we had figured out our product mix, what we did was, uh, you know, we started creating a, a series of landing pages. And those are, hey, listen, we're launching this company and to have very thoughtfully designed travel accessories. You know, we were, you know, in front and obviously spreading the word to all of our friends, but they probably you know, got tired of hearing from us, you know, because at that point we were just talking and we hadn't delivered anything yet. And then uh, we had officially launched uh, the company to the public um, September 2017. And so from there, anyone, you know, who bought into our vision, you know, who believed what we believed early on, we, you know, gave them a significant discount and we started uh, shipping out our first set of orders in September 2017. Um, So September 2017 until December 2017 was very interesting because we were, you know, kind of in the first three, four months of our business. And, you know, we, we started hearing some feedback. Um, you know, for the most part, positive, you know, a few things here and there that we, you know, had to tweak. Um, but one of the stuck out in my mind was I remember someone was like, Hey, listen, you know, I love your website. I love your Instagram. I love your marketing. However, when I go, you know, make my salon and I go to the website and I go check out and I look at the price, I expect it to cost twice as much. And so, you know, that was like a wrecking moment uh, for us because we thought, oh man, you know, maybe, you know, we put a lot of work into the branding, the design, the aesthetics. We are leaving money on the table. So maybe we should look at, you know, other items, maybe more upmarked, you know, higher price point items, more premium items, because essentially this is the type of customer that we've attracted. And so we had attracted a premium customer, uh, you know, and selling at basically rock bottom prices. You know, and so from there, so December. I think part of that was just obviously your wife's uh, expertise with marketing, with having the larger budgets and dealing with the companies that she was dealing with before, and sort of she ended up attracting you know those kind of clients. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, essentially, I think what had happened was you know we had started to attract kind of the higher end clients uh, on a you know essentially entrepreneurial or very you know low, low budget because we were both self-funding this business the whole time. Um, so, you know, unintentionally, that's, that's what ended up happening. And so, you know, we started to have this new customer base and we were attracting this customer base that wanted to be a part of our journey, wanted to be a part of our mission. But, you know, for them, like, you know, and, and no offense, you know, they, they just had more disposable income than what we had to sell them. So, you know, that, uh, and so once we got through the holiday season, December 2017, in January 2018, so, you know, um, 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 uh, earlier this year, we started putting together our heads and say, listen, what's the next item that we can go into? So we started doing more research as well. Um, and then we thought, you know what, it would be great to have just a nice bag 
that just is designed for, you know, for frequent travelers has a spot for everything you don't lose because, you know, my wife, you know, before, you know, she carries a long champ purse and, you know, that's just like a black hole bag. I just use whatever. And I was mm-hmm. using things like in Ziploc bags and stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, one sour, I, I have a, <laughs> I'm a giant man. I have a giant man purse. Yeah. <laughs> a purse. A, a purse, right? Is what we call a it. A purse, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, and look, you know, I was, I was in the same position. You know, I just kind of threw everything into a bag and I went traveling. And when it was time to leave, I just threw everything back into the bag. And I hoped that I didn't forget anything. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I did forget something just, just because that's the way I am. And so, you know, so then, you know, we started thinking about all of our past travels. You know, I used to do a lot of business travel. I used to be on the road 150 nights of the year, traveling, seeing customers, et cetera, for my previous job. My wife also, you know, traveling back and forth, you know, to Asia, you know, to see her family. And obviously she's got friends all over the world because of, you know, where she went to school at Murray, you know. So, you know, we thought, okay, let's, let's kind of design for that. And so then, you know, kind of when we started getting into the nitty gritty, we thought, oh man, you know, we think this is a great idea, but it's going to cost a lot of money to get up and running. The manufacturing costs, sampling costs, you know, production fees, you know, the shipping of the samples back and forth. So then, you know, we're thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we make this a reality without going into debt? You know, because that's what, you know, happens to a lot of people, you know, before their business ever gets off the ground, they're in a lot of debt. You know, and uh, you know it takes a toll yeah. on you. So you you know you're kind of digging yourself out of a hole before day one that you've even put something for sale. Um, and so you know from there we thought, okay, well you know what is another business model we could follow without having to raise money or get a loan? And you know, we started exploring this uh, crowdfunding route. And so you know that started becoming interesting. And so we thought, okay, you know to launch this, let's do something different. Let's you know kind of test and get some market validation up front. And in return, what we'll offer people is a steeply, you know, discounted price. You know, basically we'll offer it to them at our cost, essentially to get it into their hands. But, you know, let's just use it as a marketing exercise just to understand, do we have market validation? Mm-hmm. Do we have something at this time that resonates with people? Do we think this could be, you know, potentially where we could, you know, take the company going into this uh, product category, et cetera? So basically, uh, from January until about uh, April, we were prototyping, you know, with different bag designs. You know, we were lucky that we found a really good supplier, you know, who worked with us, you know, even though we didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, we told them up front, like, we said, hey, listen, you know, we have this idea, but we don't have any money. You know, could be, you know, please work with you and, you know, we can pay you off, you know, down the road once we start seeing success. So luckily, you know, they bought into our vision, you know, and so, you know, I think a lot of times you know, people say, oh, you know, have a supplier, have a backup supplier. What we did differently was we, you know, spent a lot of time just finding the right supplier, explaining to them our vision, what we do, how we do it. And then from there, started developing, prototyping with them, et cetera. Yeah, I think, um, I think you, you, like you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like, I think you have to do both. Like, obviously, um, I think spending a lot of time finding the right supplier is like, you know, the 80, 20 principle that, that, that 20% of the work that you do up front is going to be 80% of the results, but then also having backup suppliers. But I think a big, uh, another thing that you pointed out that is important is getting the supplier to believe in your company's vision, you know, because a lot of times people approach suppliers and they don't really spend that much time sort of laying out the plan and 
developing that relationship because if they if they become invested then maybe you do get a sample at a discounted rate maybe you do get samples for free maybe you know they allow you to start off with a lower order quantity you know there's like a lot of different things that can happen if, if the factory actually believes in what you're trying to achieve yeah yeah you know i would urge anyone you know who's listening to this you know right now uh, you know to really you know have them step back for a moment and put you know themselves in the supplier's shoes you know, with the advent of the internet and how easy it is to get products made in Asia or anywhere else in the world, you know, it's just you send off a couple of emails, say, I want this at this price. Can you do it? Yes, I can. Here it is. And then when you get the product, you're not happy and then you go somewhere else. You know, I, you know, I think because we spent a lot of time up front working with our supplier, you know, we're, we, you know, we now know each other's families. We talk on a regular basis. You know, I'd say a lot of the, you know, now even we have a lot of conversations that are not related to work, you know. Um, so, you know, I think that's, uh, that, that's been very, very important for us. Um, and so, so obviously around that time, I think it must have been like what, just after Chinese New Year when we met? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, so when we met, I believe that was around uh, March uh, 2018. And so that, that was when I had uh, taken a trip uh, to see our from New York to um, to Asia to see our supplier. And that's where we were introduced uh, through mutual friends from what I remember. Um, but <clears throat> in fact, when we met, that was when we had a working prototype that we felt comfortable enough with to then start planning out our crowdfunding campaign. You know, I, you know, the whole purpose of that trip when I, when I'd come and when we had met was to, <clears throat> you know, inspect the supplier factory, ensure they had proper working conditions. They had their, you know, they, they had ethical wages, you know, clean, you know, factory floors and, you know, they had the product capacity to meet our needs. And so, you know, once I came, you know, for that trip, I, you know, was able to go back to New York, you know, with, uh, you know, a working prototype that we were you know, really, really happy with. Um, and so from there, you know, once we had that, you know, my wife went back to work and we started revving up the marketing machine, you know, if you will, because, you know, even if you're launching, you know, a, a new brand, a new product, you know, uh, a crowdfunding campaign like us, you know, it's very important you know, on day one, whatever day you have designated to launch, it's very important to have uh, an engaged and excited audience, you know, who is cheering for you, rooting for you, believes what you believe. And so, you know, all of um, April and May 2018, what we did was, you know, kind of on our own budget, you know, on our, you know, kind of with our own um, money, you know, we created a couple of landing pages. We did some small Facebook ad buys of, you know, budgets of anywhere from five to 20 bucks a day or so. And we just started testing out different audiences saying, you know, how do these people react to this uh, messaging? You know, how, you know, does this messaging or this image, you know, cause a higher sign up rate, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we started getting, you know, some decent traction every day. We'd get, you know, five, 10 email addresses, and then it started becoming 20, 30, 40 email addresses a day. Been seen by uh, a writer for Fast Company magazine. And so then, you know, she reached out and, you know, that, that, was, uh, that, that was exciting and nerve wracking at the same time because she reached out in April, 2018, and she said, hey, you know, I'm doing this article about bags. I really like your, your bag because it's very different than what I'm already writing about. I already have these five bags I'm writing about, but I'd like to include yours. Can you send me a sample? Because I want to try it out for myself before I even you know, decide to put my name on it. 
And so, you know, for us, we were, it was uh, it was a nerve-wracking time because at the time, we only had one sample. And we thought, okay, is this for real? What if she sends it? What if it gets damaged? What if she doesn't send it back? Or what if she thinks she can keep it, etc.? So, you know, kind of like on a hope and a prayer, we thought, okay, here's our bag. Here's our only sample. Let's just send it to her. Um, see what she thinks and, you know, pray, pray, pray that she likes it, that she'll feature it. And, uh, you know, most importantly at that time, hope she'll send it back to us. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, we did that in early April. And so then, you know, she did receive it. We obviously had full tracking on there. Um, and uh, my wife and I were uh, going to a wedding uh, in May. And yeah, I think we were you know, probably on the plane for about, you know, two and a half, three hours going from New York down to the Caribbean. By the time we got to the Caribbean, we turned on our phones and all of a sudden it was message after message, notification. And we were like, oh no, what happened? Did, 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 you know, someone pass away? Was there a tragedy? What happened? What happened? And it turns out what had happened was our bag got featured in Fast Company magazine as a campaign pre-launch with five other very mature multi-million dollar brands. So we, we were now on that playing field. And so whenever you went to that Fast Company article, you know, you know, I'm sure if you Google it, you know, if you Google Fast Company and Nomad Lane, you'll see the article, it'll pop up. We were now... And we'll link it up in the show notes as well. Okay, yeah, perfect. So basically, you know, when we got featured there, <laughs> um, at the time, all the, because you know, the only thing we had to link to from the article was our campaign pre-launch page of, hey, you know, sign up here to find out when we launch our crowdfunding campaign. Immediately, you know, uh, we had uh, hundreds of people sign up. You know, at the same time, we thought, "Oh man, this is very, very interesting. It's uh, it's starting to become more fun now." But then, you know, we really had to buckle down. And um, <laughs> so, from there, in that article, actually, if you see it, it says that you know, hey, you know, we're launching on Kickstarter pretty soon. You know, about an hour after that article hit, my wife and I we get an email from the executive management at Indiegogo. And they tell us, hey, listen, you know, if you are interested in coming over to Indiegogo, it's the Kickstarter, we'll give you a full team, we'll give you campaign strategists, we'll give you optimization specialists, we'll help you create your page, your messaging, et cetera, and we'll give you full support throughout the campaign. And so we thought, oh, man, this is great. Let's, uh, let's just go down that route because, you know, it sounds like, because, you know, obviously with the Indiegogo platform, we had seen other projects that, you know, that were not exactly like ours, but who had raised, you know, a lot of money and we wanted to be in that league. Yeah. And so then, you know, we started working with them and, you know, they actually had what we call a pre-launch feature to our campaign. Nice. And so with that, because, it, because we explained to them, here's, here's the work we've been doing. So they said, okay, great. Here's the, the, the plan then was they helped us create a pre-launch page on Indiegogo. We then blasted that out to our our email database and said, Hey, listen, the extra, extra, you know, early bird pricing, friends and family launch price, um, click here on this day and let us, you know, you know go through there before we officially launch our campaign. Mm -hmm. So basically during that period, which I think that period was for about 10 days, you know, because, you know, when we were setting up our goal, we had kind of aligned our goal to our e-commerce sales and thought, okay, if we can make $500 a day for 30 days, 15,000, let's just set our goal at 15,000. So then when we went into the pre-launch phase, we thought, okay, you know, let's just put this out. Maybe we'll get a few orders. Maybe we'll do a couple of thousand. So that'll be less to raise when we launch our campaign to the public. So, yeah, it was interesting because then in the pre-launch phase, uh, you know, those 10 days, you know, we had a Indiegogo 
go pain pre-launch from, I believe it was June 2nd until June 12th. In those 10 days, we raised about $25,000. Nice. You're already fully funded before you even launched. Yeah. And I mean, like we were blown away. The people at Indiegogo were blown away. Our friends were blown away. You know, the people who were kind of sitting on the sidelines thinking, oh, this, you know, I don't know if I want to put in or contribute or not. They were blown away. Our families were blown away. You know, you get the point. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> we're like, wow. And so then what had on our official, um, um, on our official campaign launch day, June 12th, we thought, okay, let's just keep pushing already. We had uh, gotten to about fifty thousand dollars. I think about two days into. So at, at this at this stage, like okay, you're already fully funded before you launch. Like how much, how big did you think your campaign was going to be at that stage? So you know, so like my wife and I, what we do, you know, you know, for the most part, we work from home. We also have a small office in New York City, um, but you know, we you know went to this habit about a, about two three years ago of just creating a vision board kind of, okay, you know, where do we see ourselves aspirational, et cetera. So one of those things on the vision board was how big do we think our campaign could get? And so I, you know, we put on there 15,000 great, you know, we're on track hundred thousand. Oh my God, we'd be, you know, we would be over the moon, you know, man, if we hit 250,000, man, we have something that's amazing here. This is going to be great. And then uh, I think we may have put something like, oh, you know, ha ha, it would be great, ha ha, or funny, ha ha, if we reached, I think it was like 300,000, 400,000, you know, basically some multiple over 200,000. <laughs> so we thought, oh yeah, we're yeah. dreamers, you know, et cetera. Um, <laughs> so, so then, you know, so like, you know, every day when we go to work, you know, in our home, et cetera, this, uh, you know, board is hanging definitely in our house. We look at it every day when we wake up, when we go to work, when we eat dinner, when we go to bed at night, et cetera, you know? And so then, you know, kind of take that and cross it over with what was happening in our campaign. I mean, we just couldn't believe it. It was, you know, going, going like every, you know, literally every hour we get three, five, 10, 15, 20 people contributing to our campaign. And so at that point, organically, we had gotten the campaign with, with like our own knowledge of, you know, Facebook ad targeting, digital marketing. So we, I think we had grown it to just over 50,000, maybe closer to 75,000. At that point, we, we had done a lot of research and we thought, you know what, there's a lot of juice here there's an opportunity let's just maximize it now. At this point, like, you know, we talked to our supplier, made sure they had capacity to handle our orders. And we thought, let's just maximize. That's the new name of the game. Maximize, maximize, maximize. So through our research, we uh, came across a, a couple of agencies, you know, who are specifically crowdfunding ad agencies. And, you know, there are, you know, some out there who just work with anybody. There are some out there, you know, who kind of want to talk to you first and they kind of want to put you through their own validation process before taking you on. And then there's some out there who, if you talk to them, if you are a genuine person, if you are able to prove to them that you know what you're doing, they'll take on. So, you know, we, you know, definitely talked to a lot of them, you know, who just wanted to just, who basically just wanted to take our money and didn't really give us an indication where our returns would be. There were others, you know, yeah. there were other people who we talked to because this was already in June. 
2018, after we had done the three months of, you know, test page, you know, with, with like the landing page testing, et cetera. The, the second group of people we started talking to is that they told us, oh, well, we need three months to test this out and we need three months to do this, but on our own. And by the way, you have to pay us this high fee. So that wasn't an option for us because we had just put a lot of money into it. We started getting orders. So then we ended up uh, speaking with this other ad agency based in Barcelona. And they're a small team of people. Um, they, you know, I think they're about maybe like five, six people. They work on a few campaigns a year and they actually say no, no more than they say yes to campaign. And so when we started reaching out to them, it was, you know, it was a little back and forth. And then eventually they decided to work with us and we like, okay, great. You know, and so, you know, kind of the, that model works is, you know, you basically, you know, put up for the ad spend they are able to target your ad spend to the right groups online. Uh, and then from there, they take a percentage of all track sales. So when, you know, once we got, and I think it was a close to 75,000, you know, we, we were obviously doing our own things on our end, you know, to promote our campaign. But then, you know, we basically, you know, kind of like another hope and prayer. It was another inflection point. We thought, okay, let's just go all in on this. And so what we did was, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say just before you go into it, so like, um, so you guys got a lot of coverage. I mean, uh, just looking at your campaign page, obviously CVS, Fox, Business Insider, Fast Company kickstarted it. When did these other brands like Business Insider and Fox and stuff start to come into it? Was it after you started working with this agency, or is it uh, before, or what happened then? Yeah, yeah, no, um, a great question. So the other press mentions that we had on our our campaign page, those were previous press mentions that we had received one when we had launched our company about seven or eight months ago before the crowdfunding mm-hmm. campaign. So it's not that it was directly related to the crowdfunding project, but you know, from what we had read, and we were actually in discussion with Indiegogo about this as well. We said, hey, listen, we've launched this company already. So it's not our first time doing this. This is not our first product that we're delivering to customers. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we have all these great reviews about our company. It's about our story, about our mission. And so with their encouragement, they reviewed, you know, kind of our campaign page, the article. They said, you know what? It fits within the guidelines included on the campaign page. Because we basically, you know, obviously, you know, when you're in a crowdfunding campaign, you want to come in with as much credibility as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And so we were essentially taking credit for the work that we had done for the last eight, nine months, you know, from September 2017 until June 2018 from when we launched your company. So that's where those mentions came from. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Rico, when you said the Fast Company article, because that was very specific to our campaign. And that's what kickstarted our our engaged. Um, <laughs> I hope, I hope uh, kickstarted uh, actually. This is the podcast. <laughs> God damn it. No pun intended. We, we were so close. We were so close. <laughs> no pun intended. No, no pun intended. The, the, the Fast Company article kickstarted our campaign on Indiegogo. You know, that's, that's about the most succinct way I can, I can you know, put it like that. So you, I mean, obviously we connected through the InterChina community. Um, you were friends with Manov, correct? Yes, that's correct. That's, all, that's correct, yes. And then Manov introduced you to Nick and Nick, Nick was like, well, you should join the community. Um, your wife has all this marketing experience. You're a great salesperson. How much did, because I know a lot of EC campaigns that were very successful, how much did EC itself contribute to, like how much knowledge did you take from EC or how much um, did you take from the community in terms of helping with your campaign? 
if any. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think the biggest uh, thing in principle was, you know, it was, uh, it, it kind of changed the whole mindset. You know, instead of trying to be everything to everyone, it was more along the lines of try to be something to someone. Mm-hmm. And I'll elaborate on that. It was basically, you know, the program, you know, was more about kind of honing in on a target audience, you know, on, okay, you know, sure, everyone talks about total addressable market and TAM, and we all know these fancy acronyms that investors love to hear, you know, but, you know, when it comes down to getting off the ground, you know, you need to have as small of an addressable audience, a niche audience, niche of a niche, if you will, of an audience who you're solving a pain point for, and then others will come in and join, you know, your movement. And that's how you grow. You know, think about when like, you know, Uber first started, you know, it was like, you know, black car service, you know, for, you know, people who wanted, who were okay paying a little more than a taxi cab. Well, now they've grown so much and now they have such a wide, you know, user base that it's really a daily mode of transport for, a lot of people at all spectrums of um, the economic prosperity scale. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. Um, so that was like the biggest thing I think uh, that we walked away from the program with was, you know, kind of honing in on the messaging and then, you know, kind of relaying that across all of our efforts and channels. And, you know, that was, you know, that, and obviously, you know, because of the super engaged community as well, you know, now, you know, across Asia, across the world, you know, you know, I think we really enjoy having sort of this group of like-minded individuals that we can always bounce ideas off of, you know, when you, you know, hit a rut or if you have a tactical question or a strategy question, investing question, et cetera, it's nice to know that you're in a group of people, you know, obviously all at different stages, but more or less they're going through the same thing that you're going through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, quite nice. So also in terms of setting up the campaign, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time trying to find the right supplier. What, uh, what ways did you do that? Did you to go through the Alibaba route or was it more of an introduction through other people? So it was, uh, for us, it was more on the lines of uh, going to the Canton Fair. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, um, you know, that, you know, obviously, you know, versus, you know, doing some social proofing, looking online, you know, trying to trace back, okay, you know, who makes this, what types of companies exist out there, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing for us was kind of going and seeing and feeling and believing, you know, because, you know, we, you know, had the luxury of actually traveling to Asia to meet the suppliers, you know, face to face. And that was a big investment when, you know, we could have spent that money, you know, elsewise into digital marketing, we decided to allocate, you know, money up front to go visiting a supplier first. It's an important point, Ben. Like, how much money did you guys spend uh, roughly before actually making money from the campaign? Oof. Uh, that's a, so I think it was probably, I think, you know, we had maxed out our credit cards, cashed in our savings, investments, everything. It was probably, I, I want to say, just under... Um, uh, just under a hundred thousand dollars. Wow, worthy investment at the stage. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> a lot of mistakes made. Got your ten x ten x return. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, right. Um, but you know, no, no, definitely a lot of mistakes were made in there. A lot of you know, back and forth. A lot of things that we are now optimized for. What, what about the uh, the prototype that you made? Like, how long did that take to to kind of produce the prototype that was the one that you sent to Fast Company? 
So the prototype, the one that we sent over, it probably took about four months to make, Mm -hmm. uh, four or five months and, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in shipping and sample fees and production fee going back and forth. And that prototype is essentially exactly how the mass production item is going to be. So it, we ha- we made a few different minor tweaks. I'd say less than five percent of design, but yeah, basically what we had back in April ninety, I would say ninety nine percent of that is now what we're going into full production with. So overall, how long did it take you to go from concept to campaign? Concept to campaign, it took us about six about six and a half months. If you add in the supplier time, uh, you can add two more months. So about probably about eight and a half months. From the time we, we were meeting our supplier, vetting supplier, came up with the concept, sampling, design, prototype, and to launching our campaign. That's very in line with what I always tell people is like with these products that are original design, you want to be spending six to six to six months to a year before you know you're going into mass production or in the situation, the crowdfunding and then mass production. So you just have to take that time and make sure that your prototype is good and make sure that your supplier is in line with everything and you're happy. And then also taking the time to set up your campaign properly, which leads me my next question is like, you said that you worked with the Indiegogo team in terms of setting up your page and everything. What sort of resources did you get? And like, who, like for example, the video, the graphics, things like that, copy, um, where was your wife involved and where's the Indiegogo team involved? Sure, sure. So, you know, if you look at uh, our campaign, if you look at all the creative assets, photography, messaging, images, video, etc., you know, for the most part, you know, that was us. You know, uh, that was, you know, a lot of my wife, you know, finding the right, uh, you know, concepts, etc. I, I see I see you modeling in here, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, we have some. Influence. Well, actually, you know, um, so the people that we used in our campaign, those are actually friends of ours. You know, who graciously agreed to be a part of our campaign because, you know, like I said, you know, they believe we believe. Um, with with the Indiegogo support, you know, that's something that they don't offer to everyone. We were just lucky to be a part of it, and so where they really helped, I think, you know, one, you know, they had a few crucial changes that we made. Yeah, I think in particular, one was like with a video of you know presenting or maybe having these set of scenes first versus what we had originally put in there. So I think that really helped out. So it's more like you, you do it there. and then you go to them and you present it and they say, okay, you know, we think you should restructure this, this and that. But it's mostly, right. it's more of them consulting and making sure that all the right things are in place, right? Right, right. Yeah, because they basically had kind of, uh, you know, kind of their formula of, you know, hey, listen, you know, whenever someone new comes across your campaign page, here's what they, you know, are accustomed to seeing first, or here's what converts better if you present it like this instead of like this, you know, it's the same, you you know, it's the same creative assets. It's the same video, it's the same images, but it's just a matter of how you present it. And so that's where I think they helped out the most. What is the, what do you think is the smallest thing you've done? Uh, that brought you the largest results in this campaign. I mean, obviously, we could point at the Fast Company article, but I think you know there's probably a lot of other things that we're not thinking about right now. Yeah, I'd say you know definitely a lot of lines of the Fast Company you know article was definitely really big for us because that was kind of the catalyst for us to go and move more up market because you know the way that we had come across the Fast Company you know um, a writer you know was because of the very small ad buys that we were doing on Facebook. 
the five dollars, the ten dollars. So you know, so, so, so maybe maybe it's that. Spend. Maybe it's the the testing through the, the the Facebook ads. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like, thing is, like, you know, a lot of people, and you know, look, if you look at all these campaigns that are out there in the world on you know Indiegogo, Kickstarter, etc., you can tell who's really into it and who just kind of put something out there and kind of what I call, you know, did the spray and pray approach, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think it's very important before you launch your campaign, spend three months, four months, five months finding your audience. A lot of people try to shortcut that process. And if you shortcut that, you're only shooting yourself in the foot. Awesome. So, okay. So you're, you hit the campaign, campaign's going amazing. And then you're around the 75K range. Yeah. When do you start to get into the six figures? And then I remember you said that Indiegogo gave you that push, like, hey, you could probably hit a million. Um, so talk a little bit more about that time period. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, we had gotten the campaign to about $75,000 organically. We had been featured, you know, a couple of times uh, in the Indiegogo newsletter as well. And then, you know, we met our ads partner. And, you know, I think with our ads partner, it was it was along the lines of just understanding exactly, okay, you know, here's our data. Here's what we've been able to achieve with our small Facebook ad buys. What if this is multiplied? Can this scale? And so once they took over, we, you know, just had a very, you know, simple agreement. We said, hey, listen, if it works, it works. We'll continue working throughout the rest of the campaign. If it doesn't work, we'll give you 24 hours notice or you give us 24 hours notice and we'll walk away, you know, no um, uh, feelings hurt or anything. Nice. So, you know, from there, you know, once they bought in, you know, they, you know, kind of went through their whole cycle. They started, you know, testing out their, you know, their strategy, basically, you know, basically what they were good at. And then we got to a point where every day, Every day we were making ten thousand dollars a day, fifteen thousand dollars a day, and we thought, "Oh man, this is uh, you know this is going to be something." You know, I'm just looking at the um, at the uh, campaign insights at the moment. You know, kind of, kind of seeing kind of like where they took over and kind of what started happening. We thought, "Oh man," because like you know, the first day they took over, I think we had reached about I want to say about five thousand. The next day we had gotten to eleven thousand, and then from there twelve thousand, and then fifteen thousand. And so from there, we said, okay, let's, let's just try to harness this and maximize. At the same time, we had the Indiegogo team that was also paying attention to our, to our campaign. And so they started the results as well. And so, you know, kind of in close conversation with them, as well as in conversation with our supplier, you know, we requested from the Indiegogo team, we, we asked them, say, listen, you know, is it okay if we were to potentially extend out this campaign for a little bit? Because there's an opportunity here. There's a lot of people. We have buy-in from our supplier. We have capabilities to deliver with the within the original stated date. And they said, "Yeah, you know, go ahead." So you know, they gave us their blessing. So then we extended the campaign uh, twice, and basically the full campaign uh, then ran for about 60 days versus the original 30 days. So it was you know the pre-launch phase, which is about 10 or 12 days, and then from there the 60. Days. So we probably ran for about 70 to 72 days. The interesting thing was during that time, as we started getting more and more momentum, we had another prominent writer from Forbes magazine reach out. And, um, you know, she was interested as well. She thought, oh my God, what is this? Like this campaign is taking off. Uh, you know, she also was served up an ad. You know, she saw it. She reached out and you know, her, her approach is a little different. She wanted to really just talk about, you know, kind of uh, the working you know, situation between my wife and I. And so, you know, when I had a call with her, you know, she, she, you know, I think she was impressed with the campaign. She's impressed by the bag and, you know, we sent her a sample, but if you look at, you know, kind of the focus of her article, 
was more along the lines of, you know, how do you, how to work with your spouse, you know, and how to get, you know, an idea off the ground and how to parlay that into a very successful campaign. And so when that happened, uh, you know, we, you know, had a call with her. I think that article hit, I think, um, probably about a week or so before the campaign was over. Um, at that point, we were, I think we had just crossed uh, the 800,000 mark. Mm-hmm. And when that article hit, man, every day we started making or, you know, or hitting about 30,000 in sales a day. <laughs> and so at that point, we're, we said, okay, wow, we have a chance to hit a million dollars now. And so, you know, it was, we had, I think we had about seven days left in the campaign. It was very tight, about six, seven, actually, no, it, it might've been like five or six days left of the campaign. The Forbes article hit, we started making $30,000 a day in sales. Nice. From, you know, obviously the article, the ads, partners, et cetera. And so from there, we just started revving them up. Like you know, any, you know, you know, especially during the crowdfunding campaign, you know, a lot of messages come in. A lot of people say, hey, you know, interested in this these one-off questions, we would just always make it a point to respond back as fast as possible to get the support to push up our campaign. And then, you know, lo and behold, the day before our campaign ended, we had crossed, and I think uh, with 24 hours left in our campaign, we had officially crossed the million dollar mark. And then we ended our campaign at about a million dollars, 30,000, one million, thirty thousand dollars is uh what what uh what what did that feel like what what was that deal like oh you know it was uh you know i think you you know because you know but because you know when we hit a million dollars i you know uh it was my wife and i we were staying up one night because we wanted to see it happen from there it was uh you know i think we celebrated uh you know you know for you you know we opened up a bottle of wine we said oh you know this is awesome who would have ever thought and then i think the reality of it started setting in it's like okay now now it's time to deliver yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think, I think we were like on this high, the campaign ended, we're like, okay, now it's time to deliver. And so, you know, as you know, you know, at the time that we're speaking right now, we're at this point right now, we are, we're working every day to basically deliver, you know, against the million dollar plus that we raised to our backers and the delivery expected delivery date is November, 2018. But you still um, in demand on Indiegogo, which means people can still pre-order, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so we are in demand, but those orders will not uh, be ready until December or potentially January. Um, so basically, you know, our, our first priority is to you know get the bags to our earliest backers, to the earliest people who backed us, and then from there we'll work on the in-demand um, crowd, which is going to be December two thousand eighteen slash January two thousand nineteen. So I have a couple clo- closing questions. One, I just noticed, like, so obviously you guys hit a million. There probably were some uh, like uh, perks that you, people could buy before that are not there anymore. What's I guess what's the difference between the pricing that's there now versus what was there before? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you so basically when we launched, we had pre-launch perk where you could just buy one at a steeply discounted price. And so what we did was we took that momentum and then we created another set of perks. You know, based on the research and the pricing and our margins that we had kept in mind. We offered uh, perks. You could buy one, you could buy two, you could buy three, five, or ten. And I think what's also interesting is that you know to to you know the people out there who are setting up you know their crowdfunding campaign, I would say you know get a little creative with your perks. Don't just say okay, buy one, buy two, buy three, buy five, buy ten. 
what we did was we said, okay, you know, here is our you know standard one bag. Okay, great. Now you want to buy two, we're going to call it the duo. You want to buy three, we call it a trio. We call that, you know, you want to buy five, we call it the high five. Because, you know, who doesn't like giving or receiving a high five, you know? And then with all the markets we had done, we thought, okay, there, there are, there's a small subset of people who might want to buy 10. And those people, they're not going to buy 10 for themselves. They're going to buy them as gifts. And who's got the money up front to buy 10 bags? Well, you know what? We think those are professionals, working professionals who are going to buy for their office workers, for their colleagues, workers, et cetera. So that's why we call the 10 park the office party, because whoever bought the 10 park, they're going to be the most popular person in their office at the holiday season this year. And also you touched on um, making some mistakes. What are some of the, maybe you could give an overview of some of the mistakes that you might've made so other people could sort of learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we, you know, hit a couple of rough patches in the campaign. I think one of them was, you know, we, um, you know, uh, in terms of pricing, you know, we had, uh, you know, we wanted to implement uh, a price change, you know, you know, in, in essence, it was, you know, more along the lines of, you know, me saying, hey, listen, oh, you know, I, you know, I became a little arrogant during the campaign. I thought, oh, well, we're, you know, selling at this price and they're selling on hotcakes. So let's just increase the price and the sink. <laughs> well, no, that's not what happened. And, you know, we just kind of took a step back. And, you know, for me personally, it was an inflection point. My wife helped me realize this. And, you know, the whole point of this campaign is, was never for us to make money. The whole point of this campaign really was, you know, it's also just another marketing exercise. We have an unbelievable opportunity right now to get our product into as many hands as possible all over the world. And let us think about making money or making a profit, maybe down the road. Right now we are in brand building phase. You know, you see a lot of companies that are VC backed, investment backed, and, you know, overnight they become these huge monolithic you know, companies in one year and then the next year they're shutting down. Yeah, yeah. They're going bankrupt. They're nowhere ever to be heard from again. We didn't want to do that. And so that was, you know, one of the biggest um, um, inflection points as well. You know, and, uh, you know, I think there, were, there was another, you know, I think another part of the campaign where we, you know, assumed that our backers, you know, wanted the, a certain extra feature put into our bag. And we were like, hey, we're going to do this for you at no charge. And we just had a lot of backlash against that as well. And so then, you know, that really taught us just to keep it simple. Um, and, and, you know, kind of listen to the people in front of you because they're the ones spending their money on you. They're, they're, they're taking a bet on you. Like, you know, we have a million plus dollars in sales right now on a bag that maybe 20 people in this world out of the day of this recording have ever seen or felt or touched or held. Mm -hmm. That's a big responsibility to deliver. And so we are now focused on that, keeping it simple, doing what's right by the customer and getting hitting our delivery date of November 2020 uh, of November, 2018. And speaking of delivery, I think that, I, I mean, I pretty much if for anyone that was listening from the beginning, um, I think obviously the, the, the steps that you guys took was finding a supplier that you have built a, a solid foundation with and also checking with them in terms of their production capacity. Another thing that I like is that um, your bag has a lot of features, but you didn't go too crazy. I'm sure that you have ideas for features that you want to do in the future. So how um, are some, uh, was it a conscious decision? The reason why I ask is because there's been a lot of campaigns that raised the million, 20 million, and then 
didn't deliver or deliver to 50% of the backers or they just had a lot of issues that things got delayed. So um, what what active steps did you take and what steps are you, and what steps are you taking right to make sure that you, you hit your delivery dates? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you know, to, to answer your other question first, uh, you know, when these people do raise a lot of money, you know, I think, you know, look, if, if we would have um, caved in or, you know, taken into account every single request, you know, maybe we could have raised a lot more money with this campaign because we could have attracted a wider audience, but we definitely would not have been able to deliver on that. And so I think, you know, first of all, the most important thing is that we kept our message because once we agreed to our messaging at the start of the campaign, we did not deviate from it. We said, this is what this bag is made for. You know, we have other people saying, oh, I want wheels. I want a handle. I want backpack. I want, and we said, that's, that's great. There's other things out there in the market for you. This is not the bag for you. And we were turning away customers. When we started turning away customers, we inadvertently started making more sales. Um, so, you know, that, that was a point one, um, uh, in terms of delivery, when our campaign really started taking off, we started having other conversations, you know, with people saying, Hey, listen, you know, we are, um, <coughs> we are you know, going to this campaign. We need to deliver. And we started doing all of our research up front in terms of delivery, finding the right shipping partners, reaching out to other campaigns, friends, as well as the inter China group as well. You know, we had some conversation with them. Um, so, you know, I think the key to especially delivering and to doing what's right by the customer, it takes planning, you know, it takes time and, you know, kind of think the next step of your business, what it's going to look like three months from now, six months from now, not necessarily two, three years from now. I know a lot of people like to do that, but in this world that we're living in today, things change so fast that, you know, to think two and five years ahead, I think it's nice to have a vision, but to you know, actively take steps to where you think your company's going to be into you. I think you're just letting yourself down. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I, I, I something that I've learned from running my company here in China is like I remember when I first started, I thought I was going to be out of China in, in two three years, and it's like things have gone up and up and up, and you know, a few times down, and it, it's like you just the journey that you're on. You can't really make a plan for three, four, five years down the line. You kind of have to take each year every couple of years as, as it comes. Um, speaking yeah. of which, what are the plans for, you know, roughly, what are the plans for the business? Moving forward? Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, now it's interesting. You know, obviously, you know, we do have some other ideas where, you know, we're, you know, kind of right back where we were this time last year where we haven't, we have some ideas. We don't want to be quick to introduce them. You know, we want to go through our validation process. We want to allow for the same amount of time to validate our new ideas before we think about launching them. So, you know, if, if, if it all goes according to plan, then maybe, you know, maybe uh, at the second half or maybe the, you know, maybe um, uh, Q2, maybe around May, June, July next year, maybe we'll do something else or maybe we'll you know, launch a new product. That's, we're still figuring that out. You know, I think we were very, um, very cautious not to just say, okay, well, we've already done this before and it's going to be the same thing for this new product. Let's just go ahead and do it and slowly the other steps. We're not going to do that. If we went through, you know, 20 different steps to validate an idea, we're going to follow the same 20 steps again for a new idea to see if we can achieve the same results and essentially to stack the deck in our favor as much as possible. Awesome. So closing, closing question. Um, 
Can you name three books, podcasts, or resources uh, that people can listen or read to get to know you better? <laughs> or get to yeah, know yeah, you, and, you and Vanessa better? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, um, with uh, podcasts, especially, there's a, a podcast that we like to listen to, you know, obviously, you know, besides yours, um, we uh, like to listen to a podcast called Loose Threads uh, podcast. It's, um, it's based in New York, and, you know, it deals with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, direct-to-consumer uh, companies, you know, um, you know, kind of who are in a similar phase as us, et cetera, you know, talking about, about launching those. Um, in terms of books, you know, the, really the best book I've read in a long time uh, was uh, called Shoe Dog. It was uh, the, the owner Nike of memoir. Nike. Yeah, yeah, the guy, you know, how he, you know, essentially started Nike you know, kind of the ups and downs he went through. And, you know, you have to, like, you remember people read that book. I remember during his time, there was no internet. There was no WeChat. There was no app, instant communication, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I love that And book. so, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. That's great. And then, you know, the third thing, you know, to get a, a better feel for us and how we keep ourselves fresh is that, you know, we, you know, are in this mode of always, you know, trying to reach out to like-minded people, and, you know, even if you look at like our circle of personal friends, it's completely changed over the last two, three years since we went down this road. You know, I think it's always, you know, just it's important to have, you know, a good set of, you know, supporting people around you, but who aren't afraid to give you their honest feedback when things aren't right, when something sucks. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Cool. Uh, I know you have to go. But yeah, thanks for, for setting this up and congrats on the campaign. I know when you were in Guangzhou just a couple of weeks ago, we were hanging out. We had a, we had a nice yeah. result. And, uh, I could see the Entertainment Group was super excited as well. Got a, you got a lot of positive feedback there. And I, I like the bag. I definitely will probably be uh, you know, a customer in the future. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I do definitely appreciate that. And, you know, I'll be back up pretty soon, so I'll see you then. All right. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye. And yeah, if you guys want to reach out to me, that's you have to go to the podcast uh, page. It's firstfinancial.com slash made in China. Of course, this was the bento bag. I'm going to link up the Indiegogo campaign in the show notes. And that was Kish from Nomad Lane. All right. Cheers, guys. See the thing with relationships Changing a life, I like the way you think Staying the way you did Been placed with the same old things The same old house, the same old fridge Same old friends, the same old shit I ain't never been labelled this And a supermarket won't make me big So I got out of that one I remember the days as a child with a cap gun Me, my brother and Daniel, bless See why love is about you next Keep my covers around my bed And it's comfy now I see my chest Bigger than it was before I'm sicker than I was before Just listen Don't you feel the power?